Welcome. My name is Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this workshop. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Could someone also get the back door there uh, and close that? Thank you so much. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identifying anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by an ask-it basket. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. The topic for this session is sponsorship, guidance on the path, and the principle is love for others. We will begin with a selection from For Today, page 108. Love is shown in action by caring, doing, remembering, listening. Love is being strong enough to put one's own problems aside to be of use to another. Okay, so this says 15-minute shares. What were you told? Because we've been having 15? Okay. I know, there was another, and then someone in this room in the last workshop said 18. So... (laughs) It says 15 here, which leaves time, plenty of time for questions. Okay, so let's welcome Nina, our first speaker. It's really Nima, I said it wrong. It's Nima. Hi everyone, I'm Nima, a food addict from Hi, San Jose, California. Hi, oh, it's an honor to be here on top of this stage and see all of these beautiful faces from this program. I'm supposed to talk about the sponsorship, a gift that I received in this program and a gift that I'm so blessed to give to my sponsees as a free service that I received from the program and we give it to others. I wished when I came to program in 2007, 90 pounds heavier than I am right now, I wished that I could continue do whatever I was doing by myself and not having a sponsor. But people told me in this program that it's not possible without having a sponsor. So. I called someone and I asked someone to be my sponsor. The current sponsor that I have today is my fourth one, the fourth sponsor that I got in program. And as we read every, in every meeting, find someone that has what you want and ask how it was achieved. To be honest with, with you guys, 
I wanted what she has, but I wasn't willing to do what and how she was, it was achieved. It looked so hard to me to call someone every day and ask her what to do. But I got used to it. I didn't like it, but I did it anyway. So if you're new in program or if you don't have a sponsor, do it anyway. Call someone to be your sponsor because it takes off the whole burden of the making decision about your food and it gives it to someone else to make that decision. The decision that I made for 43 years of my age when I came to program in 2007, what I made as a decision and what I thought in my smart brain took me where I was 90 pounds heavier. Took me where I was taking 11 pills a day for my health issues where my doctors thought that I'm not gonna live longer than 45 because of heart disease and high blood pressure, high cholesterol, depression, you just name it, diabetes. So I asked someone to help me, to help me to what to eat and how to work the program. And sponsorship is very, a vital part of this program because I couldn't do it without her. I follow whatever she suggested and whatever she tells me about my food. And I heard actually something from her recently that I want to repeat it here that she has heard, I guess, in one of her conversations over the phone or in one of the meetings that somebody was complaining that Oh, my sponsor trying to control my life. And she has asked, what does she do? Does she ask for your bank, uh, about your bank account? And she says, no. Does she ask you to change your job? And, or divorce your husband? Or do this or that? And she says, no. She controls my food and my eating. So for what? Other reason we have a sponsor, because we don't know how to eat. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here on Saturday, right? We're here in the OA convention because we don't know how to eat. We can't control it. It's, we are powerless, step one. We are powerless over our food, and that's why we are here. I eat three meals a day, and I committed to my sponsor every morning. I call her exactly at 6.30. And I commit my food to her. And I stick and stay on my words. And I eat exactly what I commit. And night before, when I write it down, I make sure that I have that food at home. And I can pack it for next day. I don't play guessing game anymore. I know my sponsor is another food addict like me, another compulsive eater like me, thank you. But she has some more experience than me and that's why I asked her to be my sponsor. At least six, at least what we do in OA90, at least six months of abstinence more than me. 
So I do the same thing with my sponsees. I ask them to call me every day. We talk for 15 minutes. I check about their, you know, the action plan they have and all the tools that they do. That's what I do with my sponsor. My sponsor wants me to make three outreach calls a day and make three conversations with people in program. She wants me to commit my meetings, three meetings a week. She wants me to do all nine tools because that's what she does. And after all, I ask her how she does the program and how her, she achieved her recovery, right? So I do exactly what she does and exactly what she suggests. Working with the sponsee is a gift. It's a gift and I'm so blessed to have my sponsees because even if they make a mistake, that reminds me how sick I am. I didn't come to program to have fun, even though it ended up to have fun in this program, but I came to lose weight. I came so desperate, so desperate that I became ready. I wasn't ready and willing, but I became willing and ready to do whatever is suggested. In the big book says, if you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take some certain steps. As one of our friends mentioned in one of the meetings, there is a basic, very simple formula to this program, how it works. If you want what we have and you're willing, the willingness is very, very important part of it. You're willing to go to any length and to any extreme to get what we have here. And very important part of it is asking for help. Call someone to be your sponsor. And do the hard part of it, which is thinking for you. Because after all, we have nine tools and 12 steps. None of them is thinking. Thank God. I don't have to think about my food anymore. I don't have to put too much pressure on my brain when it comes to food. It's written down. She gives me the list what I can eat and what I cannot eat. I even had some changes in my food recently. I didn't make a decision about that. Last week, I had a stomach flu. And, you know, it was so bad, so bad. If it was my decision as, as a food addict, I would either starve to death or overeat over the pain I had. Since I used to be a bulimic too, before gaining all of those weight and stop um, vomiting and taking laxative, 
living that painful life since age of 11 till 29. I easily could starve, then overeat over my pain and be happy with vomiting because I knew I can eat more. That's the sick mind that I have. But I put it in sleep with right away calling my sponsor and letting her know that I'm sick and I cannot have my regular committed food. And she helped me to come up with a plan. Thank you. And followed the plan that is good and healthy for my sick body. Believe it or not, every day when I call her, I hear message of God from her. I hear what I need for my day. And I use the same words and the same solutions for my own sponsees. My sponsees are from different areas. I even have people from overseas, from my country. They don't have OA90 over there. So they call me on Skype or one of these stuff like Viber or other stuff. And we get connected. And it's a gift in my life to be connected to other people, other side of the world because of this program. And without a sponsor, is not going to work. If you don't have a sponsor today, call someone and ask them. Whatever you hear, if you hear someone in one of the meetings that can save your life, don't be scared. It sounds scary, but don't be scared. This program works but not without a sponsor. A sponsor helps you to go through 12 steps. A sponsor helps you to have a right food plan for you. And thank you, and reminds you to do nine tools of recovery. Ahead, this is what I heard in program. A head full of program, but a stomach full of food is not going to work for you. And if I could live for myself and I could make that decision about my food and staying abstinent, I would do it. I wouldn't come here. But I know the fact and I accept it that I have a disease. There is no cure for it, but there is treatment for it and solution. And solution is my higher power to accept that I'm powerless over food and, I'm, and my life has become unmanageable. So I need this spiritual life to treat my disease one day at a time. And I can't do it without her. She gives me direction. She reviews my action plan. 
And if I go too fast or too slow, she stops me. Not stopping, but giving suggestion. After all, she hasn't asked for my social security yet. <laughs> so she's not controlling me. She's just giving me suggestion. That's what I need. And that's why this tool is so important in recovery. I just heard in another workshop that somebody was praying for abstinence and she got the message that what you need is recovery and abstinence is just part of it. We are sick people. At least I know I am a sick person. And what I need is recovery. And for this recovery, I need a full-time nurse by my bed. And that nurse is my sponsor. And I do my best to be the same person on my, for my sponsees. If I feel I'm not useful for a sponsee, I ask her. I don't want to be selfish anymore. I ask her to find someone else. My previous sponsor almost fired me. I cried over it, but she did the right thing because she thought she can't help me anymore. And thank God for that because I found another sponsor that I'm working with her for more than four years today, and that helped me to stay abstinent back to back for day one, I started working with her. Thank you very much, and God bless all of you. Thank you, Nima. Um, where's the ask it basket? Okay, let's make sure we keep it circulating. Our second speaker is Roger. Roger, a very compulsive overeater and sugar fiend, you guys can relate. Uh, four years of abstinence, 40-pound loss, and totally nuts with the food. I owe this program my life, absolutely. Um, I'm going to talk about how to sponsor guys drama-free. You're going, what the, what's that? Um, first, I want to give you a shocking truth. Men and women are different I know, that's, that's pretty crazy talk. But even though we all use the same tools, we all use the same steps, I found some significant differences that I think might help you. But first, a little bit about myself. Oh, by the way, and you don't have to write down the notes. Uh, there's a clipboard going around. If you just put your name and email on there, I'll send you all the notes. So, well, I was a compulsive eater since I was a little kid. Sugar everywhere. I was out there. Well, my sugar holidays, awesome. Wow, I'd be out there, especially Halloween. I loved that. 300 trailers in my trailer park. I'd hit every one, and then I'd start around again. And I had so many bags of this stuff. You know, my mom's like, give it away. Oh, yeah, sure. I ate it all within, you know, a couple of weeks. And then I was at the candy store, you know, at the trailer park. And then uh, she'd bring back these big bags of cookies, you know, from the Burry factory. It was down there years ago. 
I'd, I'd just be nibbling them all day. It just seemed like everything was centered around food. And then when I left home and went to college, oh, a party on. I got a meal ticket, you know, at the cafeteria there. Oh, you can eat. Yep, good times. Yep. I just kept wolfing it down, and I noticed, gee, I started bloating out. You know, up until then, I could just about eat anything I want and not gain weight. But something happened. I got more sedentary, and I kept eating more. Bad combination. And I didn't even really think about it, you know, for a few years. Um, I hadn't had my blood work checked in I don't know how many years. Uh, and I just didn't, I didn't want to know anything about it. I thought, what I don't know can't hurt me. You know, I, th- I can eat a whole pie at a time. You know, lemon meringue, it's got fruit, it's good for me. Um, or you just, you know, one, you know, one sleeve of cookies, one serving size or one bag, that was it. I had tons of these sweet things on my desk at work, supposedly for the co-workers. Yeah, right. I was my own best customer to that. And I wondered why every day I'd have this just crash every afternoon. Didn't understand why. It was ruining my health, and I didn't know until what woke me up. A friend of mine from high school, 42, same age, I saw him in the obituaries. He was obese. He died. I thought, that's not fair. You, no, no, that happens, you know, maybe if you're in your 60s. No, he died at 42. I'm like, I better check this out. Um, I was about 50 pounds overweight then. And uh, the doctor said, uh, hmm, well, let's see, with uh, cholesterol at 450 and triglycerides at 1,200, you shouldn't be walking around. What's wrong? We're going to get you a scan of my heart. And it turns out I had third-stage heart disease. I had calcification in my heart. He said, in your 40s, you have the heart of a 70-year-old man. And that woke me up. And I panicked. I went to all the different diets and tried everything I could. But... uh, Nothing just, nothing worked. That sugar kept calling to me. And in 2006, I found online this thing called OA. It sounded kind of cultish to me, but I was desperate. So I walked into third grade classroom in the evening. There were some women sitting there in these little tiny chairs. Is this OA? Yep. How does it work? And they told me. And that night I got a sponsor, and I just did whatever they told me to do. And I got down to normal weight went through the steps, but the biggest problem is I didn't let step one go from my head to my heart. It was all intellectual at that point. In the back of my mind, I was still thinking, you know, I'm not as bad as them. I just need to know the secret diet plan, and this gray sheet thing seems to be working for me. It's kind of tough, but uh, I'm I'm gonna keep doing that. So when I moved down to LA, I dropped out for four years. And I can safely say after four years of what I call research, uh, it was a total disaster, sponsoring myself, absolute nightmare. And so I meekly came back into OA. The first guy I said he'd sponsor, got him. And he's still my sponsor today. So I owe OA my life. And so I've been sponsoring guys for a few years now. And uh, there's some interesting things I've discovered about sponsoring guys. Maybe you're women who sponsor guys. Maybe you're a guy who sponsors guys, um, some ideas that I ran into. Um, now, the spiritual principle today we're doing is a step is a step nine, showing love to others. Hey, keeping a guy alive, that's showing him love. But he has to be willing. He has to have desperation. 
Guys hate drama. That's one of the key things I've learned. They hate drama. And any, any woman who's been in a relationship, and they're like, don't give me the emotion and all that. And it's really true. We consider it to interfere with our projects and our work. You know, we're, we're very task-oriented. In fact, women seem to base their self-worth on their relationships. So the most depressed woman is someone who's lost an important relationship. We guys, unemployment, worst case, total depression, right? We feel like we're not productive. And that's a big difference. Um, there's two types of drama, I should mention. One is external. That stuff happens to you. Life happens. You can't stop that, right? But then there's the internal, the head drama. It's like when stuff bounces around in my head and I just keep focusing on it and magnifying it and blowing it up and it becomes totally unmanageable. And both types can be addressed when sponsoring people. Okay? Um, But first, here's some differences I found between guys and women. Emotions. Women show emotions and deal with them better than guys. You guys know that. Okay? Um, Now, I should say, here's my disclaimer. These are my observations, and they don't apply to everyone. So take what you want, okay? Um, Women, like I say, deal with them better. But we guys, we're kind of told since childhood, suck it up, you know, just deal with it, move on, all these cliches. So we end up magnifying the drama in our head, and things can get really weird. Uh, We're just stuffing it down. Self-worth. I mentioned that. Women base their self-worth on relationships. Guys, on what we do. Um, Communication. Okay. Since women invest more time in relationships and see that value, they're used to communicating. Like they're calling their, you know, high school buddies after all these years, sending Christmas cards, you know, to third grade classmates. We don't do that. (laughs) Not guys. But it helps them to work out issues. They're used to communicating. We guys, we're like little moons that kind of drift around, you know, to different planets. When we move a neighborhood, all our buddies, we kind of let them drift away. We may call them a couple times, but and for at work, our buddies may know them twenty years, but we don't pursue that. And we're basically taught you don't want to keep calling guys. It's too weird. <laughs> That's really a strong feeling you could, uh, you know, growing up as a guy. Um, authority. No guy wants someone to sponsor him who acts like a boss, a dad, or a mean third grade teacher. We do not like that. We will rebel against anything we don't respect. And if, uh, if a guy thinks his sponsor is making these arbitrary, inflexible rules, well, he's going to call him on it. He's not going to like it at all. Here's an interesting one. In my opinion, the social pressure of guys to get thin is a whole lot less than women. It just seems in society there's this unfair rule that in order for women to get a guy, they got to be slim and trim. But if a guy's got a big paycheck and he's stable and responsible, he can be overweight, you know, because that's the highest priority. For better or worse, um, there's not as much pressure. And I've, I've seen a high turnover of guys in this program. So we have to be motivated by life or death, health, staying alive, not wanting a heart attack, that kind of stuff. It has to be very focused and pointed medically. Okay, here's some tips for sponsoring guys drama-free. Uh, I call the first one leashless sponsoring. 
Okay? Ever try and walk a cat with a leash? If you did that, all the fur would be worn off one side because you'd just be pulling it around. And that's what happens when you try and treat a sponsee, you know, like a dog and tell them what to do. It doesn't work. We're independent. We don't like that authority. So um, you have to... I, I can't order a sponsee to do anything. Trust me, I tried. It didn't work. All I can do is tell them what I think the best thing would be to do next and then wait to see if they do it. I don't nag them. I don't bug them. I don't call them. I let them take the initiative. I give sponsees the right balance of freedom and structure for their food and tools. Okay, I, I don't make arbitrary food restrictions on them because, well, let's face it, the reason OA exists is to keep us alive, keep us from uh, killing ourselves with compulsive eating. Uh, it's good to learn about nutrition and do it, and most people do, but that's not the core reason OA exists. So I don't get dogmatic. And so what I do is I have the sponsee make a red list. I call it the, the foods that will kill you list. So it seems a little more obvious what it's for. And um, I want to help him. Uh, I use the analogy of if he had an allergy to shellfish and it made him stop breathing, if he was handed a bowl of delicious clam chowder that smelled so good, mm, is he going to eat it? No way. Because that negative feeling is superimposed onto that comfort food. And that is a really powerful tool that I get guys to use. Um, oh, and they agree that if they hit a food landmine, a food landmine they put it on the red list. Not, oh, my baby, I can't give it up. No, stick it on the red list. Um, I explain the value in communicating to guys, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it helps us get outside our head. It helps keep us alive. I never fire a sponsee, ever, because if you go through that kind of drama, that's like losing a job to a guy. They failed, okay? I will let them drift away, but I don't want to pull a Donald Trump. Oh, you're fired. It, because it really it affects them. I explain how guys can deal with their emotions. I learned to say, I can't turn my emotions off. I have to accept them. They just come up from my subconscious and they don't even make sense a lot of the time. But I can choose to do the right thing no matter how I feel. And let's face it, that's the major difference between a child and an adult, right? A child does what they feel like. A responsible adult does the right thing no matter how they feel. I may not feel like getting up in a dark, cold, rainy morning, but I do go to work. So, in this area, we need to learn how to do that. And I can choose not to let the drama bounce around inside my head. Success in this program isn't based on willpower. It's in learning to grow spiritually and emotionally. It's not a diet plan. I give him the analogy of, there's a delinquent child in my head, compulsive eater, in all of us. It doesn't think about tomorrow. It doesn't care. It just wants instant gratification. And if I, and I asked the guy, if you had two kids you were raising, one behaved well, one was a delinquent, didn't do their classwork, didn't do all this stuff, are you going to 
give them the exact same amount of privileges and discipline? No, you have to adjust it to the level of how much they can handle it, right? And so I need to learn to accept that I need to put just the right balance of structure, tools and steps, to manage that, to discipline that compulsive eating kid in my head. If I do it too hard, if I beat them, you know, I mean, how many of us have beat ourselves up? You know, that doesn't work. Just letting ourselves go, that didn't work either. So it's a balance. There's a bunch of things that in the thing that I'll email you. Uh, what should I do if, I'll just read a couple of them. Uh, if your sponsee breaks their abstinence, what do you do? Go after them with a stick, you know? Well, no, you don't want to make them feel like a third grader. And unfortunately, I've seen this uh, in some situations where they'll be forced to make a long, answer a long list of questions. And if they mess up again, they have to answer the same questions. And if they answer again, they have to. I just asked them one simple question, and it's a weird one. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just before this mess happened, what would you tell yourself to maybe avoid it? Because that way they can learn from it, but not get their faces rubbed in it. And that's what we do at work. If we mess up at work, we don't quit. We learn from it and move on. Why not do that with this program? If my sponsee disappears for a long period of time, I never nag him, push him, tell him he's bad. Don't give him a guilt trip. And I don't keep calling him. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? So anyway, that's uh, the information. Put your uh, name on that list. I'll send the rest to you. And remember, you can do the program drama free. Thanks. So, um, where is the ask a basket now? Okay, has it come forward? Have you guys all seen it up here? You guys haven't. Okay, so we need to get it over here. I'm going to come by and pick up the questions that are in there. And um, first I'm going to thank Roger and then introduce our next speaker, who is Ruthie. People in this room who know me know that I hate public speaking. <laughs> Terrifies me. Anyway, my name is Ruth, and I am a real compulsive overeater. I prefer to call myself a garden variety glutton. Um, I am an addict, um, but for the grace of God, um, I'd either weigh several hundred pounds or I'd be dead. I did not come to this program to get any kind of spiritual recovery. I did not come to this program to get any kind of emotional recovery. In fact, I didn't even know what spiritual recovery was. I didn't even know what spiritual was. Um, I didn't come to this program to get a sponsor or to be a sponsor. I came to this program because I was obese and I couldn't stand my life or myself. And I had tried many things before I came to this program this was the last thing I tried because that's all there was left. Nobody, in my humble opinion, walks into these doors unless they just are so miserable. I just heard something that I'd not heard, and I've been in the program 26 years. 
that G-O-D was gift of desperation. And I thought that was brilliant, you know, because that's what brought me here. Um, I don't know my top weight. Um, I do know that I wore clothes in the size 20s, and I'm wearing um, <clears throat> size 6 pants now. <clears throat> For the guys, I don't know how to translate that, but it's probably like going from a size 48 to a size 35 or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a big weight loss, and, but more importantly than that, um, I was going to say I'm healthier, although I've had some bizarre health things <laughs> in the last couple of years. Um, but I'm certainly happier. My life is more peaceful. My legs don't rub together so that they're just chafed. Um, I don't have to run out on a Sunday night and get a new skirt because I don't have anything to wear to work the next day because what sort of fit on Friday won't get around me on Sunday. I mean, I don't have to live my life that way anymore. Um, my current uh, abstinence date is July 29th, 2000, so hopefully in July, with the help of God and the support of everybody around me in the 12 steps, I will have 16 years. Um, in, on July 28th, 2000, I had a major sugar binge. It lasted three hours. It was terrifying. It was proof positive to me that the, that the disease keeps getting stronger and stronger. The disease progresses, whether we're practicing it or not. And at least for me, when it came out, it just came out with a vengeance. After three hours, I left work. I called my sponsor. And the next day, is I started over. I had to start over. I'd had a major binge, and that was my first day of abstinence. When I was asked to speak on sponsorship, first I thought, oh, my God, what do I have to say about sponsorship? I mean, it just seems so overwhelming because, um, you know, I've always felt inadequate as a sponsor. And then I realized in thinking that or even saying that, that was a lot of ego um, because all I bring really to the table is Ruth and whatever experience I've had over the past years and whatever I've gotten from my own sponsors. And I have to think back to, um, to remember that when AA started, there were no, actually there were no sponsors. If you look at the first 164 pages of the big book, the word sponsorship is never mentioned. There's allusions to it, or there's, there's words and concepts that are used that have evolved into what's now called sponsorship, but there were no sponsors. I mean, these the men who started OA, because there were no women in those days, the men who started OA, I mean, <laughs> did, I mean, they didn't even have years of sobriety. It was one guy sitting down telling another guy, this was my life experience, and this is what I did, and I've been sober a month, or I've been sober three weeks, which was a miracle. And then sharing, as I heard some a speaker say one time, trust God, clean house, help others. And so there really in some ways isn't a big mystery to sponsorship. Although I think I've imparted to my sponsors many roles that they don't have. And now when I sponsor, I try to tell people the things I'm not before I'll tell them what I think the program is about. 
I am not a mother as a sponsor. I am not your best friend. I'm not a guru. I'm not a minister or preach, priest or rabbi or man on the mountaintop or woman on a mountaintop. You know, I'm just me. I'm imperfect. I may not have what you want, but what I can do is trudge the road with you. What I can do is share with you, maybe only two inches in front of you, what I've done to work the program over the time that I've been in program. I certainly am not the same sponsor now that I was 20 years ago. I'm 71. I have a totally different life experience that I did. My issues now and my concerns now and what I've been through now are very different than they were 26 years ago. Um, I probably, interestingly, are a more rigid sponsor than I was um, 26 years ago. You know, somebody else mentioned that sponsorship is this incredible gift. Um, there is, to me, there's no other relationship like it. It's like this purity and this um, kind of bond of kinship and love that exists nowhere else. It's, it's rather awesome. It's rather, um, there's a sacred awe to it for me. And my sponsors have been people that I can trust absolutely. I have never, ever had my confidence broken by a sponsor. And I can't say that. I mean, my mother used to tell things about me that I wish she hadn't, or that she may have promised not to, and then she forgot. Ditto my husband. Ditto my best friends. Ditto just about everybody I've known, except for my sponsors. And I trust them absolutely. It's been my experience that there are many kinds of ways to sponsor. I am a food sponsor. I am a step sponsor. I've been in a co-sponsor relationship, which means that <clears throat> at that time, there were not a lot of um, sponsors available where I was who had what I wanted, and I had met a woman who I knew very little about, but we seemed to resonate, and we agreed that we would sponsor each other. So every week for a couple of years, we got together. We started with the OA 12 and 12. We read a chapter. We wrote the um, answers in the uh, OA workbook. We'd read them the next week, then we'd read a chapter, and that's how we did it. And we, then we went on to other pieces of literature. So there's many, many ways to sponsor. I agree with somebody who spoke earlier in saying that there's just no way to work this program without a sponsor. If we could work this program by ourselves, we would not be here. None of us wanted to come into these rooms. None of us wanted to put in the effort that it takes to stay abstinent and sane in this program <clears throat> unless we had, if we had another choice, we wouldn't do that. And, and I have tried. I've been very successful at reading and learning things. I learned a lot about the pyramids. I learned a lot about uh, knights in shining armor or could read Shakespeare. But there, I couldn't read the big book or read the steps and learn them in any kind of way. I haven't learned them yet, but learn them in a way that would in some would 
quiet my insanity and help me to live in a healthy body. And so I make a plug for sponsorship. When, when I have sponsees, I always tell them, now it's time for you to sponsor. In, in the area where I am, people put up their hands. At the end of meetings, people are asked to put up their hands. In some meetings, it's if you sponsor, even if you're not available. In some meetings, it's to put up your hand if you sponsor and you are available. And I tell my sponsees, put up your hand because people who are newer than them in the program or who are struggling in the program need to have sponsors. And we can't keep it unless we give it away. If, if there were, There's two parts of the third, well, I'll talk about them separately. The third step prayer, the first thing I heard, and for a while the only thing I heard was take away my difficulties. That's what I wanted, just take away my difficulties. But if when I heard the end of the... Thank you. When I heard the end of the third step prayer, it was so that I could be useful. Same thing with the seventh step prayer. I took and still do take great comfort in saying that you should have all of me, good and bad, meaning that I don't have to be perfect, that there is more positive aspects to me and more negative aspects to me. But it's not just so you'll take them and tell me I'm now a good person. It's to take them so that I can be of use. And that's what this program is about, and we cannot do that without sponsorship. Now, some of what I say, I speak for myself, as has everybody. Some of what I say people tend to not like. One thing I tell my sponsees is, it is about the food. Let's not food feel, <laughs> let's not um, fool ourselves. We come here because of the food. It is about the food. We can't get rid of the food. We can't fix our problem with the food without the other part of the program. It's my personal belief and something I communicate to my sponsees is that we cannot do the other part of the program until we put down the food. It's like t working in AA, or you know, it's like asking someone who's drunk to work the 12 steps. We can't ask people who aren't abstinent or who aren't, you know, who aren't abstinent to work the 12 steps. My opinion. Um, and OA has a very clear definition of abstinence and several years ago it got expanded a little bit to include being at or working toward a healthy body weight. And I am one of the people who welcomed that change. Because, and I tell my sponsees, you either are at a healthy body weight or you're working toward it or you're not abstinent. Um, the other thing I tell my sponsees if, is that I will work with you providing a few things are true. I have some bottom lines. Bottom line number one, you will be honest with me. I am not going to yell at you for eating something that you have defined is not good for you but I'll be really, really upset if you lie about it because that's what keeps us so sick is lying about our food, lying about our lives, lying about our emotions. So honesty is one of the things that at this point in sponsoring I absolutely require. The second thing I require is some kind of commitment to the program. And by that I mean a few 
indications that the sponsee is willing to do the things that are necessary to, in my opinion, become abstinent and, and um, become a healthy and happy person. It might be three meetings a week. It might be a daily phone call to me. It might be reading one step a night. It might be praying for 30 seconds or setting the timer for 90 seconds and meditating. But some kind of commitment, some kind of daily practice, something because as someone else also said, this is a program of action. It doesn't magically work. It's how we work it. And so at, at this point, I feel it's important to do that because there were periods of times when I sponsored when I didn't do that, and I don't think I was doing anybody any service by just supporting, um, you know, that's okay, you'll find your way, do what you want, talk to your higher power. I do tell people to talk to their higher powers, but I think that the kind of... Um, there's some foundational behaviors that um, are really essential for any of us to, because we're all looking for happiness. We're all looking to be um, uh, a healthy weight. We're all looking to be healthy. We're all looking to want to be able to look in the mirror and feel okay about ourselves. We all want to wake up not feeling ashamed. I mean, those are kind of universal things among us. So I think there's some stuff we need to do to make that happen. I try to share that with sponsees. And finally, because I'm probably in my last absolute, you got to get off this this uh, podium thing, uh, is that I do think a food plan is absolutely necessary. And so what I ask people to do is to read Dignity of Choice, pick one. You don't have to be committed to it forever. Just pick one now and stick to it. Thank you very much. Okay, um, let's thank our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope, and ask that you please take a, a seat on stage for the Ask It Basket questions. Okay, um, none of these questions are directed to anyone in particular, so whichever one of you would like to answer it, we're going to do some musical chairs because there's not a lot of room up here. Okay. Are there situations where it's better? This is, I'm actually going to read two questions because they're related. Are there situations where it's better to part ways with a sponsee? And when, if ever, is it your duty to fire a sponsee? There is some mention of this in the big book under step 12. I take the chance. <laughs> Uh, firing a sponsee, you know, what I understand is principle, not personal. If you feel as a sponsor that you're not helping your sponsee that much and she doesn't get enough from you, it's better to give this opportunity to find someone that has what she wants and what she needs. And if you think your sponsor is not working with you enough and you're not having enough structure because this is what I need, a real structure, 
and that was lack of discipline in my life because I couldn't have discipline. I couldn't have a structure around my food and rest of the stuff. That's why my life was unmanageable. So I found the sponsor, the right sponsor that works for me. And if I feel the sponsor doesn't work for me, it's principal, not personal. I ask someone else to help me. Same thing for my sponsees. If I feel I cannot help her enough and she needs someone with more time, more experience, more knowledge about her special situation, I ask her to find someone else. Maybe the food plan that I have is not good enough for her, is not structured enough for her. She needs more restriction. So we all are here for recovery. We are not here to punish anyone or get punished. Changing a sponsor or changing a sponsee is not a punishment. We are here to progress. And this is a way of progressing program to have someone that works for us and has something that what we want. Any of you wants to add on? Go ahead. I just wanted to add to that. Um, I think part of it is word, the word fired has a lot of implications, and it usually, again, makes me think of Donald Trump firing somebody. I, I heard that expression, you can tell a person they're ugly, but if you do it in the right way, they'll thank you. And it really comes down to how do you come across to the person? If you can see that there's something wrong in the way that the relationship is, can it be repaired? Can, or is it misunderstandings? Is it miscommunications? Um, if there's a fundamental thing going wrong, okay, if they're not doing what they should be doing, usually if I just tell them what to do next and then get back to me when they've done it, that lets them drift away. And that's usually how it ends. No big drama, get thee out. You know, it's, it's usually more subtle than that. But if it does come down to you really need to terminate this, doing it the way we've heard, doing it gently, saying, I think, wouldn't it be better if this, and so on, where you're not telling them to go away. You're showing that you care about them. You're like a cancer support group. We're all working together as a team. I'm not better than you. Uh, I'm just trying to help you out. If you get that attitude, then the firing, the word firing, won't really come up in your mind. It'll be helping them transition to someone else. Thank you. Are the terms of sponsorship negotiable? If so, is that usually a bad idea? I'll take a stab at that. Having, saying, having said, I've become more rigid. Um, before I do that, I have to tell you that at the uh, tables with the water, there was this little coaster, and what it says on it is drink, think, relax. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> probably not the most appropriate one for us. <laughs> I mean, that's my theme song, I guess. <laughs> eat, think, relax, or eat, stop thinking. Um, hmm. You know, I think everything has to be negotiable. I mean, that's, that, I think, is a, a fundamental um, truth 
for me, of a successful relationship. Um, I think our first tradition speaks to that. You know, our common welfare. So it's not about all my welfare or all your welfare or my way or the highway. Um, that's how I wanted my marriage to work. Thank God for the program. I say if it weren't for the program, I would have been divorced a very long time ago. Um, so there are certain aspects of sponsorship that I believe have to be negotiable. But I also believe there's some that um, can't be negotiable. One of them for me as a sponsee is absolute trust and protecting my anonymity in every way. And by that I mean not only my name, but my deepest, darkest secrets or anything else like that. And I think that's my fundamental pledge as a sponsor. Um, the other one I would say is to do no, that's non-negotiable is do no harm or intend to do no harm. Neither the sponsee nor the sponsor. I also think that some kind of commitment to the program, as I said earlier, is essential. Um, and I, I agree with um, the answer to the prior question that if, if the, the things that are negotiable are not problems, if there arises a problem or it's not working or the sponsee is unable to grow in any way, then it's not the sponsor's fault. It's not the sponsee's fault. It's just not working. And, you know, then it's time to help the person find somebody who's, who can better carry the message to them. So um, I'm not sure I'm being responsive to the question, but I think there, there, that things for me that are, are negotiable are things like what time we're going to meet, when we're going to connect on the phone, um, what meetings we'll attend together or not attend. I've, I sponsor people who live in my hometown, and I sponsor people who live thousands of miles away. So how we do that and we nego negotiate how to do that is very, very different, and each sponsee is different. So this question says, sponsor giving suggestion, advice, or just listening? So I think it's, should a sponsor give suggestions, advice, or just listen? I can share my own experience that I never advise because I hate hearing advices. Uh, from my childhood, if somebody gave me advices, I blocked and I didn't want to hear it. And what I give to my sponsees is just suggestion. After all, I'm not a professional psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm just a food addict in recovery who had a sponsor, and I'm sponsoring others. I speak of my own experience, and I give suggestion to my sponsees. And that's the way program works. We don't have rules in this program, right? We have just suggestions, some traditions and steps to take. We cannot force anyone to do something. No one. If they're not ready, they're not ready. 
Sponsors cannot do the program for anyone. Don't expect your sponsor to keep you abstinent. Don't expect yourself to keep anyone abstinent in this program. So we just give suggestions and we, of course, listen to our sponsees. You know, we, after all, in this program together, and we're supposed to be shoulders for each other to, you know, to rest and be, take care of each other. We help each other. We don't do program for anyone. So we listen and we give suggestion. I don't like to hear advice. I don't give advice. And one thing I'd add, it can be dangerous. I've had some guys asking me, you know, well, I'm severely depressed, you know, I'm thinking suicide or uh, something, you know, my marriage or things like that. And I just have to tell them I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, even if I was, you're not my patient. So I have to say this is the area that OA covers. Anything outside that, I mean, if it's just a small thing, a casual thing, you can preface and say, well, this is what you know I do, but it's not uh, anything uh, that you should just take you know, as it is. Check it out yourself. But be real careful. Um, one thing is I had forgotten to give out my email address for those who are listening to this recording. So if you want a copy of the How to Sponsor Guys, um, it's R, B as in boy, H, and then the word other, O-T-H-E-R, at gmail.com. Thanks. How do you know when you're ready to sponsor? Uh, are there any minimum abstinence? Is there any minimum abstinence time? Um, as far as I know, for OA90, that I'm a member of that group, we should have six months of back-to-back -back abstinence, then we can sponsor, and of course, by suggestion of our sponsor, my, our, my, our own sponsor, if my sponsee is ready in some certain um, situation that there is no sponsee or something, I know I have done it out of country because there was no people with enough abstinence time after at least 90 days. But OA90 suggests six months of back-to-back -back abstinence. And of course, a step works. <laughs> How do you know when you're ready to sponsor? My personal experience was I never thought I was ready to sponsor. And I don't think there's anybody that I have ever worked with who ever said, I'm ready, let me go out and sponsor. I mean, I think that one of the things that, that plagues us is a sense of inadequacy, not enough, and um, especially early on in the, well, at any point in the program, but especially early on, when we may have only had one sponsor and we've never had a sponsee, it's like very scary. And what I would say to people is, ask your sponsor, am I ready to sponsor? And if you are a sponsor, to tell your sponsees you are ready to sponsor, and you're, we're not, you're not being thrown into an ocean 
to sink or swim. I mean, all of us ask other people for help around a variety of issues. And if this is the first time you've sponsored and you want to have a sponsor sponsor, ask someone who's been in the program a long time that you know people like to ask to sponsor them, ask that person, could you help me? Could, I, could you be available to me as I begin to sponsor? And basically, if you just share the program, you can't go wrong. The other part about the absence requirement is that I have changed my mind on this. My current opinion, my, my opinion, there is no rule about this, my opinion is that you have to be absent to sponsor. I don't know how long you have to be absent to sponsor, but I don't know how we take people through this program without being abstinent. And so that's my answer. How do you know if someone is a right fit to be your sponsor? <laughs> you don't until you try it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you'd never buy it. Well, at least I, I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on, let alone um, have someone sponsor me without trying it on. Um, I think that one of the things you can do, either as a sponsor or as someone who's looking for a sponsor, is to sit down together and to talk about a little, we'll talk a little bit about this is how I sponsor, you know, and I told you some of the things that I now ask the sponsees. When I've been looking for a sponsor, I've said these are the things that I think that I need now, and I'm willing to do other things that you tell me to do. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And as, as one of the speakers said earlier, it's not about personalities. It has nothing to do with friendships. It has nothing to do with you know, did a good job or didn't do a good job. It's just sometimes it doesn't work, and then you find a different sponsor, or the sponsee finds a different sponsor, and, you know, that's how the program works. Can someone with more years of abstinence be sponsored by someone with less years? <laughs> Sounds like a yes or no question, but... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Anything one, anyone wants to add? Okay. Um, we're getting close on time here, so we probably only have time for one person to answer this one. What four or five actions do you take when working with your sponsees? I do what was mentioned earlier before I even sponsor them. I tell them what I do up front. This is how I sponsor. I recommend this particular food plan, but we'll adjust it to your needs. This is what I recommend you do for calling in. I kind of go through the tools, uh, give them an idea of how I'd like them to get going on the steps, whatever, so they know what's involved coming into it. And, um, and of course, getting them the spiritual time each day, I think, is something that may be overlooked sometimes, but getting that reading, writing, praying, meditation time nailed down each day at a specific time is a really core thing. 
and without that, it's just a diet without the spiritual angle. Also getting them going on the steps. If they've never been through the big book before, um, I often will say, well, why don't we go through the big book, read a couple pages a day, and write a couple sentences on it, uh, how you relate to it. And then I have them go through the OI 12 and 12 and workbook. Thanks. Our last question. Perfect timing. Would anyone like to share an experience they've had about encountering a roadblock or seemingly insurmountable issue in your life as a sponsor that you didn't know how to address and then how you addressed it or learned something new? People come to this program with different issues other than um, just being overweight or anorexic or bulimia, having food issues, some health conditions. And I face this kind of issue or problem almost, you know, every once in a while when I have a new sponsee or my sponsees get some health issues. One thing that I never forget and you don't forget, we are not alone in this program. I have a sponsor, my sponsor has a sponsor. This is a big chain. And when I get a problem that I have no idea about it, phone call. I call my own sponsor and ask. I don't suppose to know all the answers. As I mentioned, I'm not a professional you know, nutritionist or doctor or anything. First of all, I don't get involved in uh, very deep personal lives and problems. I don't have to be a psychologist or marriage counselor. I don't have to be a psychiatric. But if I hear something that it relate, relates to my sponsorship duty and I don't know about it, I ask my own sponsor. I ask people with more experience in program. That's why we go to meetings and listen to people. We hear that someone, for example, Miss X, has experience relating to this. That's why we share our experience, hope, and strength with each other in meetings. That's why we make phone calls. We attend phone meetings. You know, We know a lot of people around this country and overseas. We ask help. And, you know, by grace of God, we solve the issue. And if we can't, nothing is wrong with saying, I don't know the answer. So she can ask or he can ask a specialist, a doctor or someone about this help, about the issue to get help. It is now time to close this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with the third step prayer. I have an announcement first. As of 5 p.m. tonight, there are three more Saturday dinner and Sunday breakfast speaker event tickets available for sale. Dinner is $50 and breakfast is $30. Go to the registration table to get your ticket. Thank you. Okay, let's all join hands for the third step prayer.